When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, March 17th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Kaczynski, coming to you from bookriot.com. Last time you were all daffodils and hummingbirds, and now you're back into a... Uh, a 50-degree rainy, and for Richmond, that's winter, right? Essentially, it's, that's, a, that's a winter day. It's late fall, early winter, mm. it feels like. Yeah, I was telling you before we started here that yesterday I was, I felt like Cinderella yesterday with like little birds chirping around my head, and, you know, like full springtime glory, and today it's disgusting, and I've just decided to channel a Sunday mode, so I have like yep. made myself brunch and a new cup of coffee, and... That's just what we're doing. That's what we're doing. I will make your day feel better because I have a surprise game for you here in a Ooh, minute, which I know wonderful. always brightens your day. Uh, in some weird form of Stockholm Syndrome, I do love this. Look, Stockholm's nice. <laughs> it's true. I'm sure it's a great town. Of all the places you could be held captive, Stockholm sounds pretty decent. You know, it's it's true. Um, is Stockholm best known for the syndrome? Probably, mm, right? Probably. Nobels, Nobels, Nobels and hostage situation. If there's not a show title, I have never said one in my life. Uh, I guess one other thing before we do a sponsor break. We do have a new literary activism newsletter coming soon. You and I will not be writing this, though we were a part of – this would be a, a good idea um, for the the site to do. The site meaning our array of properties, some of which are not websites, I guess. Uh, <laughs> increasingly less useful metaphor for what Book Riot is and does. Um, but Kelly Jensen and Danica Ellis, who um, are staff writers and editors here, um, have been really over the last year doing more of their own additional reporting and rounding up and cataloging and interrogating what's been going on in the world of book banning and censorships in schools and public libraries across the country. Um, covered a lot on the site, but a dedicated place where people can go who want to stay informed. And I would guess a lot of our listeners here would be interested in this. Um, there is a, there'll be a link in the show notes. You also go to bookriot.com slash newsletters. There you can see all the many bookish newsletters you can subscribe to. And we have a bunch of them. Um, and the literary activism one you can find there. But we thought we'd take a moment because I'm sure there are, uh, we've t- we, we asked before explicitly whether or not you wanted us to keep covered, covering these because there were so many and they all kind of felt like the same story but a different day. I, I feel like both in degree and kind have changed over the last year. And so this yes. is um, light rising to meet the dark a little bit. Check that out. Link in the show notes, bookwrite.com slash newsletters. Let's do a quick break and we'll come back. Uh, let's do the game first, because I think the Brandon Sanderson FAQ is actually more than just follow-up, I think, maybe. Or what do you think, Rebecca? Mm. Do you want to do game or Sanderson first? Let's do the game. I think you're right. The Swaggerson update game. is juicy. Yeah. So one of the big questions we've had is the COVID book-buying boom. Oh, is it yes. durable? Is it going away? What I have, we're, we're now almost a quarter into 2022. We're coming out of COVID. BA2, go away. I don't want to hear your name anymore. So I thought it might be interesting to check in on year-to-date print sales year-over-year. 
Okay. So year to date 2022 versus year to date 2021. And year to date 2021, I think we were in the white hot center of COVID. There were some Mm -hmm. vaccines, but mostly older folks or people with immunocompromised or other special conditions could get them. The great mass unwashed masses of us were waiting until summertime or later. And it was winter. And if there was ever going to be the pinnacle of print book buying because people are sitting around, it would have been winter last year. Do you agree with that supposition? I do agree with that, yes. Thank you very much. I win already. Um, (laughs) So what I'm going to do is I would like you to, this is going to be plus, minus, or no change. Okay. And I'm going to give you the category, and you can tell me if it's up year-to-date, down year-to-date, or flat. None of them are flat, so it's up or down. Okay. I guess is so. Would you like to begin with print books by format or print books by category to begin? Like Jeopardy. Ooh. Which which category would you like to start in? I'll start category with, or format? With category, please. Category. Your choices are uh, we're gonna go top to bottom. Number one, adult nonfiction. For those of you who don't know, the single biggest category in books is adult nonfiction in print. Uh, I, I should say in print. The audio question and ebook we're going to get to in a minute when we talk about Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> but this is print. So, okay. year to date, do you believe adult nonfiction is up or down over 2021? Down. Down. Any idea how much? Oh. Tough, I know. This is, this is extra. Credit. I don't know. You already get... 7%. percent <laughs> 9.6%. I'm okay. going to award you full marks. Great. So, adult nonfiction, the single biggest category of print books is down... 9.6%. Next category, adult fiction. Oh. Up or down, Rebecca Shinsky? I'm going to say up. Could you tell me why you guessed that? Because some right. of these TikTok searches are adult titles. And we are go. seeing record numbers of them. The Sarah J. Moss books are adult titles. I think Colleen Hoover, Hoover is an adult title. It's not all YA, even though it's all kids mm-hmm. that are buying them. Yeah. Or mostly... Yeah, the youths, the youths. The youths are buying the Two Hoover. youths. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. it is up 9.9%. So almost exactly the same. So it's exactly up as much that, as adults are down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Though because it's a smaller category, we're still millions of units in the in the right. red because of the difference in scale. Uh, juvenile nonfiction, for those of you who don't know, juvenile means kids. Young adult means teens, essentially, for lack of a better uh, shorthand. But juvenile nonfiction, so kids nonfiction, up or down? Down, because the kids are back in school. Back in school, 9.3% down. Juvenile fiction, up or down? I'm going to go down also Also for that same reason. 9.3% dip in nonfiction, 7.7% dip in juvenile fiction. Okay. How about young adult fiction? Up, baby, TikTok. Up. How much do you think it's up? Oh, 12%. 5.9%. Oh, so up okay. less than adult fiction, which I thought interesting. was interesting. And then young adult nonfiction. Down. That is up, 5.4%. Oh, okay. All right. So your next subcategory uh, grouping is format. Hardcover, trade paperback, mass market board books. Mm-hmm. Hardcover, up or down? Adult? or uh, This is all, all this, it's, it's just by format. It's not broken out. This down. Time. Down by 7.7%. Trade paperback? Up. That's the TikTok juice. It is down 2.2%. Oh, okay. Mass market paperback? Oh, hmm. Down. 
down 19.6%. Mass market paperbacks have just taken taken L's for a decade, ever since ebooks came around. I, how you know, can it even be down 20% at this point? It's, I, there's, that, it's like Omicron. There's not much that to lose. How do you lose 20% <laughs> of nothing? You know, I think it's that and also that romance publishers especially are experimenting yeah. with these trade paperback size originals with cute ah. little illustrated covers instead the of cartoon, just starting the cartoon contemporary yes. romance yeah yeah instead of just starting at mass market paperback and that has to make a difference because romance is huge is it a cartoon illustrated i'm not sure even I, my, my visual art taxonomy is they all poor, look the same now all of those yeah covers. the jasmine Gillerys, the casey mcquist i'm looking at a couple of on uh, my my better half's nightstand right now i know it's a, mm-hmm. it's a new thing under the sun and then lastly board books oh down kids are you know this doing yeah things. kids yeah. down down seven point what i don't understand okay we'll, we'll get to this first of all second. can we just ha- i have a really nice track record on this game so far so i just want you to do have a very good track Thank record you. well i thought this would be good because our sense is right right yes. sometimes we're right about what our sense would be i would like to think i would have guessed this but in looking at these i was like that makes sense that makes sense so that mm-hmm. brings us to the big kahuna um which probably i shouldn't say there's that's probably appropriation never thought about this before i'm gonna go look at Kahunas and where, from once they come. Um, total. Total sales of print books year to date. Down or up? And then for bonus points, shining glory in the polishing <laughs> of your polishable items, uh, what percent? It, well, it would have to be down, right? Because everything. has to be down. You are correct. Basically, everything was down except for mm-hmm. YA fiction. Um, I'm going to say down. Six point five percent. It's very close. Down five point three percent. Okay. We are down from uh, in March of twenty twenty one, sixteen point eight million units sold to fourteen point one. So two point seven million units down. Even with the TikTok, I think that's even the story. With the TikTok. Even yes. with the TikTok. Now, twenty twenty one, remarkable time. I think. Just because something is a high water mark doesn't mean when the tide goes down a little bit that we're in a drought. Does that make sense? I think that held up actually pretty well. It does. I think we've been seeing some similar conversations just around like things, companies that were big stocks early in COVID. Like, is it really that shocking that Peloton Mm -hmm. is not as popular right now as it was in like May of 2020? Probably not. Like some... I think for year year over year comparisons are going to be really hard for the next couple of years to mean anything until COVID is like as fully in the rearview mirror as it can be. And maybe for now, looking at 2019 is an interesting comp. Yeah. Um, I've also got another, I'm going to use a specific example that is, it's at the Venn, the center of the Venn diagram of several things we've said right now. So this is Tess Bailey's new book called Hook, Line, and Sinker. Just came out. It is one of these illustrated cartoon comic, uh, mm-hmm. not comic, uh, romance trade paperbacks. Um, and she got some juice on uh, TikTok, book talk especially. Okay. I'm going to give you her first week sales for her last five books, including the most recent one. Here's mm-hmm. This is nothing for you to guess because I'm just going to do it. I don't know how Great. to do this. So June 2019, Fixer Up came out, 1,066 copies in print the first week. Okay. Second book came out a year, uh, six months later. January 2022, Love Her or Lose Her, 865 copies in print the first mm-hmm. week. Also, people out there, a lot, most books don't sell much, in case you've forgotten. <laughs> right. Tools of Engagement, September 2020. So, you know, she's putting out a book every six months or so. Mm-hmm. 955 copies. Okay. July 2021, it happened one summer. 3,201 copies. 
March 2022. Would you like to guess? Here's what it is. I guess I did wait. Would you like to guess what her March 2022 copies sold? And were? you said she got and the TikTok juice. So this there number. Is, and there's a reason we're doing this game. Yes. I guess is okay. What I'm saying. So this guess should include the impact of the TikTok juice. And it's been since July 2021, right? So we're looking at right. almost a year. Her last one was 3201, which mm-hmm. in fairness to, I guess, the game was triple her last one. So she'd already seen a tripling. Yeah. 15,000. 20,570 copies. Woo! So a seven times more, uh, which is... Yeah, I mean, yeah, man, I yeah. love that we're getting numbers with the TikTok yep. situation. Yep, yep. I mean, it's and we've won. This is not a name I would have come up with myself, right? No. Uh, by my 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 gentle my gentle looking through my fingers book topic book talk experience, which is now have, has come to an end. I should say. I, yeah, you you have there. braved that. I haven't even tried it. Yeah. Um, I. So there, how many of these are there? Because that's 20,000, what's second week sales and what's durable, but there mm. is, we saw the rising tide. I did a Google trend search for both TikTok and BookTok this morning in anticipation of this. Really, it was March of 2021, where BookTok, as a search term in Google, I'm going to use that now for a proxy in general okay. interest, right? People are like, mm-hmm. what is going on? I don't know how it, how it actually... Um, this this is boomers googling BookTok or people yeah, like is, me. Or I people was going to say, how it, many right? of them think it's a separate app? But here's the thing that tells you something, right? That's true. Yeah, in the crossing the chasm way, mm-hmm. the people who don't know how to program their VCR getting into laser discs is a thing, right. and that's kind of what this is happening. Really peaked in uh, the spring of last year, okay. and TikTok itself had a real spike. Weirdly, starting before the month before COVID started happening is where TikTok had another hockey leg up. Now, for book talk, for search terms, that has come down over the last six months. How is this going to play out is the next question. What it's doing now, is it harnessable in any way? And then what is the durable thing? Those are the three big questions about, about TikTok right now. The other thing I was going to mention is we talked last week about James Dunn, um, chairman and CEO mm-hmm. of the group that owns Barnes & Nobles and some British chains, was saying they need a hit. They're looking for a hit. And we're, I was like, isn't that what book talk is for? I think the thing that's hard to understand for me is if I look at, you know, this is where my eye goes. And this tells you where I'm, when I open Publishers Weekly to look at bestsellers, I consider the most interesting list hardcover front list fiction. Mm-hmm. That's what I look for. The bestselling book last week in hardcover front list fiction was The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley, which okay. only sold 17,000 copies. Yeah. It's just one Italian summer did well. Rebecca Searle, I think you picked that in the draft because she did a mm-hmm. different one. She had another one that came up before. Mm-hmm. They did some marketing with us. Disclosure, take that with your will. It's out there. 11,000 copies. Okay. Um, here's one. The Sarah J. Mass, House of Breath and Sky, TikTok phenomenon. Second week out. Number four with 11,000 copies. I think this one's a tricky thing to think about because no. the TikTok surges are on backlist titles. And... Most readers just in the general world are not paying attention on a weekly basis to new books coming out. And if you just got on the Sarah J. Moss train from TikTok, like in the earlier part of this year, you might not be ready for the next book, (laughs) like, you know, for the newest book yet. Or maybe you just read the first one and you're not going to stay on the train the whole time. Like we also don't know the long like series impact of those TikTok, you know, popularity phenomena um, for the later books in those series when it's a series they're talking about. So 
I think my gut instinct was also like, oh, that seems that seems low given her broad popularity. But like, how is that TikTok popularity translating yeah. to the longer tail of book sales? Are those people like following her on Twitter and Instagram or wherever mm. kids follow people these days? Are they signing up for her email newsletter so they'll know when her new books come out? Like, can they be marketed to directly in some fashion, which of course is the thing that the publishers are trying to crack. Um, but the the fact that those books that are taking off on TikTok are older, I do think is interesting and might be complicating how those little surges, not even little surges, how those big surges are translating or rather not translating into sales of the newest titles from these authors. That's very reasonable. My counterpoint would be <laughs> this, which is Colleen Hoover's new book, Verity from Grand Central, sold in its second week, told, sold more than twice as many copies as the Sarah J. Moss. So similar, got a new book, the same yeah. argument hold. I, I don't know. Maybe the series, you know, it's a long. Yeah, maybe books. they just maybe they, they liked the like Colleen Hoover books better. They, they like yeah. the the books better. You know, Hook, Line, and Sinker. What we just talked about sold twenty thousand copies in week one. Interesting. What it sells next week? What's the durability? What's mm-hmm. the shape and durability? Um, I'm where the crawdad sing. By the way, trade paperback front oh, no. list uh, nine <laughs> nine ninety eight hundred last week. We saw the first look. You texted to me, and I didn't respond because I I, I didn't want to get into you it. You couldn't. I. I Look, I think we said this before. I assume that the movie will be better in the book. That is a low bar, but I think it could do some things better. It's going to be... It looks be- It does look beautiful, I have to say. It but marshes are great. I, they look great on camera. I mean, it looks beautiful, but like it's kind of not... A lot of it's not supposed to. Like she... Yeah. You know, I mean, we, whatever. Manic we don't need to rehash, but Manic yeah. Pixie Swamp Girl. Her life looks pretty cozy. She's drawing dragonflies and reading books in the in the in the sunroom. It looks fine. I mean, anyway, we'll see. Do you think that movie's going to do? I mean, who knows with movies? Is it, it will it even go in the theaters? Like, I don't even know what to make of expectations. We've I've yeah. long stopped that game. Books are hard enough. I don't know. Hmm. I I don't know. I haven't heard a lot of clamoring yeah. for it. Um, I think a lot of. I mean, obviously, a ton of people read that book. A lot of people who are casual readers picked that up as one of their couple of books of the year or because their book club was reading it. It didn't spark anything near the cultural excitement of like Fifty Shades of Grey to Mm -hmm. translate into an adaptation. And I just don't know that there's really that much excitement for it maybe it'll capture people who didn't read the book but are like people liked this book maybe we'll see the movie yeah, i don't know i, I don't um, really know it's I, it's the yeah, kind of movie that's not that getting one. made right now kind of a middle brow i mean in a different world this could be a hallmark kind of a movie or something a little bit I, yeah I, I think i'm it's, not sure what to make of it it'll be really interesting to see what the trailer kind of what genre the trailer packages it as mm. because the elements of the story that I think were most compelling to the people who liked the book were sort of the like solving the mystery revenge yeah. thriller elements. And if they are spinning the movie, the the stills certainly look like they're spinning it more into this, you know, like very gauzy romantic kind of situation. That's a harder sell in general. You know, I'm like fresh yeah. off reading the book about rom-coms and how it took Hollywood approximately one million years to admit that rom-coms are a hard sell because they don't attempt to market them to men. But maybe if they did, men would go see them. Yeah. And it doesn't look like from the images of where the crawdads sing, they're trying to reach a, a broad audience. 
No. Yeah. As, after coming off the adaptation nation we did of Gone Girl, like mm. this feel good Gone Girl that where the crawdad seems, <laughs> seems to be going for is a very <laughs> tough sell. Feel good girl. Yeah, that's that's not okay to say out loud. Nope. Um, early book of the year. So we've talked about this before. I, I'm just going to throw a couple of names out. We don't have a we don't have a candidate right now. I wouldn't pick any Mm-mm. horses that have left the places horse leaves when they start races. The starting gate um, at this point. I will say this though. Um, now again, some of is the vicissitudes of publication dates. You know what book is sweeping the nation has over the last year that we haven't mentioned at all, and it's a little outside of what we normally talk about. Atomic Habits by James Clear. This is selling everywhere. My 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 better half was in like a productivity leadership thing where they were sort of basically doing a using Atomic Habits mm-hmm. as a conversation starter. It's all over the stores, selling very well. These self development ones come, but we haven't talked about. It, it sold thirty thousand copies. It was the best selling book of the week last yeah, week, and it has been for six months. It's confusing because it came out in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I know. I don't know. And I think I read it in 2018. <laughs> yeah. Or, well, Green Eggs and Ham was the third best-selling book, and it came out in, you know, 1612 or whatever it, it came out. So yeah. The, the thing happen. with the self-improvement books becoming popular a year or two after yeah. their release, I guess it makes sense that they're more likely to sell in paperback just in general. Yeah, right. um, but these sort of, there's so many of them that which ones are actually useful, I think takes a while to shake out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also thought Atomic Habits was very useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. We have not talked about that one. And it's, I think it's in our personal shared interests yeah. of things that we read about, but not so You did read we it. We about haven't here. talked about this. So it's worth yeah. picking up. You know what I like. What I like. That. Yeah, I think oh. it is. I mean, I don't know that there's anything that, new for you you know there's a lot of habit stacking kinds of things um if but you did like the power of habit the doohig i think this is a good follow-on and it's a little bit more i found it to be a little bit more practical in the actionable stuff like here's actually you want to develop this habit like let's walk through how you could stack it up with these other habits or you want to put these things together to like create your morning routine, say here's how you can chain things together. Um, Which doohigs I found to be a little bit more philosophical about like here is how habits work, but you have to have a ton of mindfulness around it to like see the trigger that makes you want to do the thing that you're trying to stop doing or to instill a trigger to make you do the thing you want to do and the james clear is like why don't we just do these things and it's like make them make sense to your brain in a way that you'll just start to do things habitually mm. um, yeah i think okay. it's useful yeah yeah you I'll can listen probably, to it on audio i'll get to it event i've seen it enough that it's i mean that i'm interested in that kind of book at all but now it's sold enough that I just kind of want to know what the sh- what the shtick is. Like when yeah. I finally got around to the life changing magic of tidying up, I was like, okay, that's you know not for me and not solving a problem I have. I get it, and now I have um, it in the back of my brain. Couple of books that we've mentioned before. I don't think I picked this in the draft. I don't. I don't think that I did. But I think if I had to pick a a title that's not, you know, it wasn't hugely anticipated, but it still continues to sell well, but it's also not one of these Patterson album, Lisa Gardner, mm. you know, that kind of, they, they fade, you know, they, they yeah. open and they're just kind of brand names. The Made by Nina Prose, yep. still in the top 10. Mm-hmm. It's been out for a couple of months. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be losing much steam, you know, still selling 6,000 ish copies in print a week. I think that's one that's a debut. I believe was that a debut? But 
that's a reader's kind of a book. It's an inter- I read it. I liked it well enough. Oh, okay. Um, it's the did we talk about this all? The protagonist is neurodivergent, and there's we been didn't. a little. Well, there's a little talk about representation there. I'm not very well qualified to mm-hmm. to comment on it. Though I think I'm on the side of if you're going to do it, this is pretty well done. I found it enjoyable. You know, where, my old binary, did you get into it or in, I was into it. So okay, I was going to go. ask where you were on the scale of whelmedness. Yeah, I mean, it's a mystery told a little bit differently. It's like upmarket mystery, literary mystery, I guess is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was good. You know, the one that continues the Lincoln Highway, still in the top 10. Um, Someday I'm going to give in and read it's some good. Amortals. I liked it, you know. <laughs> People like things that are good. You're into pachinko now, and it turns out you like things that are good as well. It turns out I like things that are good that other people have liked. I'm about 300 pages in, so like, Mm. yeah, about 60%. I told you an anecdote. I'd be curious for the listeners out there, they're out living their lives. If you happen to wander into a bookstore, I was in my local pals recently, and I was going to pick up a copy of Pachinko for Michelle because it's the kind of book I think she would like if she'd get into it. Um, and now that the the show is coming out March 25th, she's like, was it good? What I think? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, I'll just going to get you a copy. I'll put it on your nightstand and you'll pick it up eventually. I can be a part of the process <laughs> here. But my local pals was all sold out of new copies. It only had one old used ratty copy that would have not gone over well. I, you know, that's not the kind of thing. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. You know, pick up for a few She's bucks. She's a it's lady great. of fine taste. She's a designer and these these things matter. But I was shocked. I mean, it, it feels to surprising. me like there should be out there. Maybe there was a stack in the front, though I said before that when I went to go buy a hell of a book after it won the National Book Award, they're like, oh, yeah, that's back on the shelf somewhere with no special notes. So I, the responsiveness there. If you're in a Barnes & Noble local bookstore recently and you happen to wander by um, the liter, you know, the, the big fiction stacks or whatever, and let me know if they have copies. I don't know if it's a staff. Are they sold out? Do they not print enough? Like, what is going on here? Because Maybe they're not paying attention to what Apple is putting out on adaptations I guess not. Next. I guess not. Maybe not. But I was surprised um, to not see it there. But speaking of preview drafts and things we liked, one I did want to mention is V.E. Schwab's new book, Gallant, came out. And mm-hmm. I read that mm-hmm. last week. And it debuted at number two in children's front list fiction with 14,000 copies. Okay. So... I don't know. It's, right. it's okay. It's, it's fine. not that great. And we're we're also in the time of year when um, we're starting to get the Dr. Seuss rise. The number three, oh, right. four, uh, and seven top ten overall selling books of last year were yeah. Dr. After Seuss what, titles. like May fifteenth? Yeah, after school's Dr. out, yeah. we're going to get oh the places we will go will be the last gasp of the Seussian dominance for the year. Um, that'll happen in mid June, and then we'll start. Settling back down, but there's no candidates for book of the year. I think To Paradise, um, you know, was a candidate. Mm. I don't. It's too long, and there was too much weirdness. It's too. I think it. It was too weird. It, it could yeah. win the Pulitzer Prize or National Book Award, and it might deserve it. But in terms of being a reading phenomenon, it was too tough. Yeah, I think you could be long or weird and yep. get moderately popular yep. with like readers, readers. Right. But right. long and weird is a tough sell. Yeah, to stay on the top twenty for two months, you've got to be. The reading experience has to be pleasurable. And this was interesting. I think it's something other than purely pleasurable, which The Maid, mm-hmm. I think, is, and The Lincoln Highway, I think, is, and um, The Christie Affair, I think, is, which is selling pretty well and some of this other stuff. So anyway, there you go. Let's do another break, and then we'll do stories a little bit. Sanderson. One question we had about Sanderson right away was, how surprised were they? Was this a... We really got something here, and we're going to lowball the $1 million goal, but we know there's an FAQ. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, I didn't get to read the whole thing. I didn't have time. There's some, a link yeah. that came to our attention this morning. 
I think the biggest takeaway from me was that he thought maybe two to four million was uh, a generous upside. Mm-hmm. We're now approaching eight times that, so it's well outside the scale there. So they didn't know. Phenomenon beyond that, yes. assuming this is true. I, I guess I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not sandbagging <laughs> again. Sandbagging about sandbagging. Um, what else, Rebecca, did you pull out of this Yeah, one? you know, I'm, I have some deep appreciation developing for how grounded Brandon Sanderson seems to be and how direct he's willing to be with people. Like one of the, of course, frequently asked questions here is, how are you going to spend the money? And he gives this answer that's like the same way I spend all my other money. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he said, you know, it's a valid question, but I haven't been looking at this as really any different than the money that I earn from my books that are traditionally published. But I particularly liked this sentence. I didn't hit the lottery any more than any other business hits the lottery when they have a product that connects with their market. So um, I'm like, yes, that is a good way to think about it. There's also a nugget in here that they're planning on building a physical bookstore. And so Mm. the money that he's earned here will help his company um, accelerate the plans to build their physical bookstore. He, He drops a lot of numbers. So I think, Jeff, when you're especially like interested or have some time to go dig in Uh, because he did some predicting. He talks about like his most popular um, first week sales were for, um, or he he talks about several of them. So he says like to pull the curtain back for you, Rhythm of War's first week sales were around 350,000 copies in all formats. Star sites were about 80,000 copies in all formats. The first year for Rhythm of War was about 800,000 copies total. And when they started this project, they thought like, okay, maybe we could get, you know, of those potential 250 to 800,000 people on a typical Sanderson book in the first year, how many of them could we get for our Kickstarter? And their guess was very low. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think he underestimated the like real thirst from his fandom for these things and maybe underestimated how many of those 800,000 in the first year people are he already has connections to to directly market to them um, mm-hmm. to get the word out about something like a Kickstarter or maybe the power of those networks that b- fans of especially like big sci-fi properties yeah. are in where if, if one person is on the Brandon Sanderson list and he drops a Kickstarter like this everybody that person knows is then going to find out about it five minutes later um, so really interesting to see him talk about you know what he anticipated and there's you know reasonable math around what he anticipated and why mm-hmm. um also he addresses is this the end of traditional publishing for you and why did you kickstart these books and that's really juicy and there's so much of it that we couldn't possibly like we could de- you and i could dedicate like a seven hour well podcast. that's when i was like whoa, whoa i gotta stop because it's either yeah. gonna be a light touch or this is gonna be the thing we do for six years yes yeah lot. we could we could close read his answer to this question about the end of traditional publishing or not for a good long time and I think we'd have a nice time doing it Uh, but he talks about you know things in the past that he experienced with Amazon book sales with ebooks audiobook is notably his most popular that was the one I thought that's what you pick out for sure man you're committing to so many hours listening to a Brandon Sanderson giant sci-fi audiobook that just 
surprised me. Um, but he gives he does pull back the curtain a little bit on some of the stuff that went on with Amazon, some of the stuff that went on with Macmillan, and then between Amazon and Macmillan that maybe had left the, not the best taste in his mouth or given him a desire to experiment with something else. And you know, he does a nice job in a humble enough way of like patting himself on the back for knowing that he had enough direct connection to his market to try something like this, um, but also makes it pretty clear that at least right now he's not planning to leave traditional publishing forever. He talks about some of the benefits mm-hmm. of staying with traditional publishing or the balance of what he gets from that versus what he'll get from doing this. So Bridget, really thoughtful. I wasn't expecting him to do several thousand words on what this experience was for him. Um, and it's interesting. It's the most I've seen an author talk about something like this, especially on this scale of success. I think goes back into this, is this replicable question? I mean, anyone, any author could write this kind of a yeah. thing about their project, but Sanderson does this. Like, this is why yeah. people are coming, to, like, there's a virtuous cycle of being, either being seemingly well-adjusted or being able to perform well-adjustedness. Like, it's the, <laughs> the, 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 the Turing test of groundedness is interesting um, to think about as well. But yeah, I, I, there's a lot there. I think people... A lot of people don't operate pretty close to the metal of a company that they work for, and there's just such a thing as cost of goods sold and overhead mm-hmm. and operating. Like they see twenty million dollars, and it looks like winning the lottery. Well, winning the lottery, you don't have to go pump out subscription boxes <laughs> for a year and make these special editions. And he has right. a staff. I think the other thing I took in my brief glance is like Sanderson got a lot of irons in the fire, and a yes. lot of them make money. Uh-huh. And that is maybe something that someone who sees $25 million would be like, that must be like literally everything you're ever going to make. Sanderson's a mini industry of his mm-hmm. own. And that's a differentiation when we talk about what the other authors that could do like this. I think the Sarah J. Moss was still a great answer. I'm not sure she has the infrastructure that Sanders, Dragonsteel Entertainment or whatever, the N.K. Yeah, Jemisons. We got another email this week about Martha Wells and the Murderbot mm-hmm. series. I think it's oh, a really good example. A good mm-hmm. But I think the special sauce here is this is a business already with staff, like 20 yes. staff, something like that said. Yeah, uh, they already point. have a warehouse they're going to yes. ship all of these books out of, which answers one of my original mm-hmm. questions about how that was happening. Yeah, So it's, it's less, it makes more sense. I guess, after reading this was my... Yeah, I think so too. And it helps, I mean, it has to help that he does seem like a nice, like a genuinely decent grounded human that you can feel good about giving your dollars directly to. Um, Mm -hmm. He also notes in here that one of the complications of this was that it cuts bookstores out, you know, doing sales directly this way. Mm -hmm. And he wants to... He wants bookstores to continue to thrive, and he knows that his sales can contribute to that. So what might some sort of hybrid model in the future look like? I think this is a really good example of somebody trying to see the whole board and understand their place in the ecosystem and breaking down the costs and opportunity costs of doing the the benefits and opportunity costs of having done it this way. Really soft pedaled the if I'd we gone to they I mean soft the shorthand was New York but traditional publishing is what yeah. that meant is like would we have made more or less it's going to take years to figure it out and he's right you know mm-hmm. you're going to you have the amateur stuff and copyright and service and all that stuff takes a long time to really pa- parse out so it was a it wasn't a wet blanket over the whole idea but a, a moment of useful transparent real mm-hmm. talk that really gets into the uh, 
the double-edgedness of self-publishing, right? Because now yeah. you got to do it all. You get all the money, but then you got to do it all, which I think, yeah, I think in that's... the earlier days of the new utopia of self-publishing, the work doesn't go away because you'll self-publish. You just get to do it. Mm-hmm. And you assume you're going to be A, as good, and B, more efficient, and C, enjoy it. When you put it that way, it's like, I yeah. get why people don't do it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I wonder how many people saw this or will see this who were thinking, maybe I'll try that. Yeah, and I that hope they read is, this and not just look yeah. at the Kickstarter number, right? Right. God, yes. Yeah, and it does seem like I checked the Kickstarter again this morning. It was at 27-ish million last week when we recorded, and it's at about 29 and a half right now. So it's slowing down, but like it's still got $2.5 million bigger in the last week. <laughs> Well, and we know too, and again, I assume it's similar, the, the first week and the last 48 mm-hmm. hours are the most yeah. uh, indicative, so um, we might see here. At the end, why we're in, we're not going to spend too much time on this. I think it's worth pointing out. It's a little outside of our canon. There's, there's an amount of tea spilling that if we comment on too much feels a little bit, I don't know, gossipy, piling on. I don't know, but we haven't talked about this, Rebecca, we're going to handle this. Mm. But there's an interesting piece in Publishers Marketplace that we'll, listen, we'll, we'll link to here about mid to low level publishing staff people, this is their great resignation moment and saying this is enough, it's too much. And I think it does speak a little bit to how hard it is to publish stuff, right? It it does dovetail a little bit with the Sanderson talk of like, there's not really a shortcut to making books and editing them and printing them and distributing them and, you know, marketing them and doing all the things that go into what we understand publishing to be. And there seems to be a generational divide in publishing about, And maybe it's always thus, and now people are like, maybe it shouldn't always be thus. I don't know. Is this something Mm -hmm. different or people reacting to it differently? My thought is that it's it's door two here with this. This is how publishing has worked for a long time of low to mid-level publishing people bearing a lot of the brunt like they do in, say, medicine or law, frankly. And then once you climb the ladder, you reap the rewards of... You know, sort of a labor marketing scheme to some to some degree, and people are like, you know what? What if I didn't? Um, yeah, I don't know. That that's my think, take on this, Rebecca. Or, I think it's a little think? of column A and a little of column mm, okay. B in that bearing the brunt looks different now than it looked a generation mm-hmm. ago because technology has advanced so much. And one of the key things that the letter writer here. Um, Oh, I can't find her first name. Someone McGee, uh, Molly McGee, from who had resigned from Tor. Um, one of the things that she particularly calls out is, at least in her experience, the burden of being responsible for like managing all of the technology pieces mm. that the older and more senior programming the VCR. Either, yeah, either couldn't or didn't want to manage. And those are new technologies that weren't a regular part of publishing, you know, 30 years ago. So I think some of it is that a lot of it is just that how we understand corporate life and expectations of work-life balance, expectations of how people should be treated in the workplace and have their work valued and this great resignation moment of people stepping back and looking at what they thought was important in in their careers and in their lives. And maybe it's something very different than that um, are combining to it, this was going to come to publishing because it's happening everywhere. So yeah, it's worth looking at if you're yeah. interested in the labor stuff. Um, I, I, I think if you're like, if you're listening to this show from your dorm room, or oh. you're thinking about a career in publishing and wondering, like, 
what your Devil Wears Prada march up the ladder might look like. This might, I would give this to, I don't know, a 22 year old who is thinking about Mm. trying to move to New York and get a job as an assistant editor or a publicity assistant or something like that. Yeah. It's a good piece. And um, it's something that's, when you and I read this, and maybe listeners of the show we've talked about over time a little bit, wouldn't I was 0% surprised by anything yeah. in this, to yeah. be honest with you. No. Let's do Frontless Corner. Today's topic <laughs> for Frontless Corner is books that either lie, to, well, hmm, lie to you is strong. This is an airing of grievances. It's, well, may, sure, you can, you can air your, I'm not sure that I'm aggrieved. I guess there's the the expe- how how to win and lose the expectations game when you pick up mm. a book right and different things getting packaged different ways and we've we have multiple <laughs> data points this week shared that not the same books but the same experience of like this is not really what I signed up for and I'm not sure that I'm great I'm gr- I'm okay with that is that is that yeah. fair is that yes where we we, we have been on a journey this week yeah now yes. if we had read the blurbs fully. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know, know either. I don't know. I. So, do you want to start? Or do you want me to? Do you want to start? You, or I think you should start. I should start. Okay. So, I didn't tell you the other half of my experience, oh, no, which is I. No, no, no. It's fine. But I picked up and read this week the Swimmers by Julia Tsuka, which came out. Julia Tsuka oh, has written yes. a couple of really beautiful novels: Buddha in the Attic and When the Emperor Was Divine. I followed her career. She has a new one out, and I and I kind of know what to expect. The contemplative can be very. Um, impactful and mournful, and this one even more so because the the premise it's a it's a strange book. I would like to talk about it at length with you know people who it's, would like to do those sorts of things. Did you read this? It's like it's like next on my stack, so okay. I am very interested yeah. in what you're about to say. Maybe it'll make the pod. Maybe it won't. But like the first half is it reminds it's a it's a first person no first person plural. So we and us right mm-hmm. about people who are like hardcore amateur swimmers at this local private swim club and something happens there and that's the first half of the book and then i think one of the people there in the second half of the book is the the second half is also second person we us but it's way more specific about someone's mother going into a memory care long-term facility, mm. right? So it's it's pluralizing that. It's pluralizing two very specific experiences is, is what's happening. And then the link is the, the woman who's going into the memory care, I think it was one of the swimmers. Is, and okay. there's, we get a little bit of her. They're, they're interesting. They're metaphors that abound. You know, I, I haven't read any of her interviews. I'd love to. It's one of the few times I really want to hear more about why they, these two things got jammed together and how they came to be. But long-term memory care. I mean, is there a tougher hang in the world, right? And I have some no, personal I'm, experience uh, of yeah. dealing with this, and I knew it would be close to the bone. So I'm seeing a lot of fiction around oh, dementia coming yeah, out lately, and right. that's just an interesting trend. Well, it's it's going it's it's like it's going to be like divorce or sexual assault. It's one of those mm-hmm. banal quotidian traumas, right? That, yeah. that a lot of people are going to have this kind of very intense experience. And it deserves, like those experience, a full literature, a full corpus to explore. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I knew that was going to be tough. I knew it wasn't very long, but I wasn't going to sit it. I, I thought I wasn't going to do it all in one sitting. I did it in one sitting. Anyway, oh my boy. fault. Whatever. That's a lot. But I was like, okay, at the same time, I'm going to be listening to something you know, lighter, interesting, 
You know how I am. History of the world and seven things. I like year in the life, like a year in the life of the garbage collector or a fisherman, whatever. So I picked up this book, came out February, Funny Farm, My Unexpected Life with 600 Rescue Animals. And the cover sounds perfect. The cover has all these, you know, um, you can look it up. It's by Lori Zaletsky. Has all these animals sort of poking around. It looks light and fun, right? Um, and there, her backstory is as tough as it gets, and all, almost every trigger warning I can think of applies to some degree. And I was not expecting and- it. It is nowhere in the synopsis because you shared this. Thank you. I shared. I was like, okay, there's heartbreak here, and like, I'm not sure that you run a a 600 uh, rescue animal shelter if you don't got a little something that you're dealing with. I I don't think that's outside there. I was expecting like to deal with my divorce or or Mm -hmm. maybe uh, my mom died or. But Rebecca Shinsky, I got to tell you, it (laughs) it was a Whitmonian catalog of pain. Um, that and it was interleaved and weirdly whiplash between a funny story about a pig that got out with my dad trying to kill me and my family with an axe. I mean, that's not hyperbole. Jeez. That's a scene that actually happened. Spoiler. So, okay, it was tough. But that's then, tough. and then you got into Left on Tenth, which <laughs> I think is a memoir of love and loss. Is the subtitle of that? It book. is. Is it's that a, wrong? A second chance at life. Yeah. And. And go for well, it. You I, do. You I, do I'm looking at the synopsis of Left on 10th right now, and all the things that have been surprises to me are in the synopsis. <laughs> so I really could have saved myself. And I would have read it anyway. I would yeah. have just, you know, known what was coming for me. But, well, first, I want to go back to Funny Farm for a okay. second. Because I don't think, I think that there are ethical decisions that publishers make that maybe they don't realize they're making when they decide what goes in a blurb for a book or not. Mm. And when you, and and when you may, and like leaving out minor details is not an ethical problem, not, you know, putting a, putting, even putting a spoiler into a blurb, not an ethical problem. Like you are giving someone an emotional experience and in a work of writing, you're manipulating somebody's emotions for like 300 pages. (laughs) To put a cover on for a book called Funny Farm that looks light and wonderful and, you know, it's the thing you landed on when you were like, what's the balance to having to read this fiction about, you know, end of life and memory care stuff. And then to not give readers any warning that they're going to run across all kinds of triggering material like you just ran across can be really damaging. Like, you know, it's a hard read for you. It could have been a really damaging experience for someone to come across that kind of content. And and I, I don't know what we do in... Po- like, I, yeah, I, I don't know how yet... you do this. This is a, was a hard book to market. I'll say that. I don't know yeah, how you do this I, with this book. I'm I, not sure which I had a, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Like, I have not landed yet, at least in the place of publishing should come up with some universal system for trigger warnings, like what we have with movies and all those things should go on book spines. Like I'm not there yet. I know some folks are, and that's, I understand it. Um, But I do think that mentioning it in a blurb of like giving some hint is helpful. And I had a really positive experience when I was reading um, in the shadow of the mountains Mm. last month, which is about hiking Everest, but it's about hiking Everest because she's dealing with trauma from childhood sexual abuse and addiction. And both of those things are mentioned just, you know, like in one sentence in the blurb. So 
if you were a person who was looking out for particular kinds of content, you could know that you were going to run up on that in that yeah. book. It wasn't they didn't make it the point of the whole blur, but like it's there if you could find it. Anyway, yeah. that's my side rant. Left on 10th does actually include all of the things in the blurb. But since I did not read the blurb, I got surprised by her husband dies. And then I got surprised by she has leukemia, which is uh, personally a difficult yes. thing for me to read about. And then I got surprised by suicidal ideation entering the chat. Mm. And it was like, this is a lot. And it's especially a lot for like a book with a dark pink cover and gentle like you know lilting <laughs> scripted mm-hmm. text on the, on the front yeah. like, i don't know i think we're we're both kind of talking around a similar point which is like there's not much there, there's not there's not any material for me really that i need a, a trigger warn like i don't get triggered that's not something that is in my experience and having an experience that i think rises to that level some of it is about like are you getting what you think you're buying yes right yeah and then the other is, within that, how do you then let people know? Like, for example, Funny Farm, this looks like a book. This is a book for animal lovers. I think this has, like, like it has a social media presence. Like, it's a well-known thing in Jersey. And, like, let's, this would be a great book to do about this. Those kinds of people that are animal lovers that are going to buy a book because there's a chicken and a baby goat on it, also are the same kinds of people that give us TBR notes about, I don't want the dog to die. Right. Right. They're the, the, I think that's fair. Let me tell you about Funny Farm. The dogs die. Mm-hmm. They, horses get murdered by estranged husbands. Like, it is rough for the that's animals really, That's really rough. It's really rough. And it's, it's almost exactly the kind of thing that someone wants, that buys this book doesn't. That's what really gets me. It's not just like, oh, uh-huh. there's this dark stuff. And then the last line is, although there are some sad parts, as life always is, which is uh, <sighs> a number that's a grammatical mistake, um, there are lots of laughs. It's not, this is not Babe Pig in the City. Like, it's a very, very dark part. And maybe that's a different book, and maybe it means you need to leave it out. And I know Zaleski wants to tell her mom's story especially, because it's super important. And I get that. And maybe it's hard, and that's tough. But there's something weird. I have a little more sympathy for the Delia Efron writing about her experience and you telling it what it is. Maybe in those situations, signing up for Delia Efron. Like, I don't know that I need to be prepared I'm not sure, because what do I want to know? How much do I need to know? Because there's, there's pleasure and surprise, yeah, too. And, but if it's not what you bought on the tin, and the tin didn't say what it was, like, I don't know. For, I get, to be really fair to Delia Efron, like, I am enjoying the experience of listening right. to Left on 10th. I'm going to recommend this book. If I had read the synopsis, I would have picked it up, and it is giving me what it is selling in the synopsis. Yeah. And I think she is coming around to, like, like currently suicidal ideation is in the chat, but she's coming around to how her friends and caregivers helped her get the treatment that she needed mm-hmm. to deal with both the leukemia and the depression, and what it was like to be surrounded with love and community and overcome these things and have a new understanding of, you know, end of life kinds of questions. And these are all things that I'm interested in thinking about and exploring and reading about from wise people who have gone before me. So like, I would have picked it up anyway, and it would have given me what it was selling. I was just, this one's my own fault. (laughs) I was just, you know, repeatedly I think that's that's a good point of distinction, because now, no, I wouldn't have done this book. If I yeah. no, I didn't and, want educated plus Charlotte's Web. I, I, it's not what I was looking for. Yeah, right then. and 
I do like the experience of being surprised mm-hmm. by books, which is why I tend to go in cold. Yeah. So it matters that what the book looks like is what it's going to feel like on the inside. <laughs> and maybe, I mean, maybe that's on me also, but I, I know a little bit too much about publishing and how book covers get made to believe that uh, that they're always trying to accurately represent the contents with the cover. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, the old cliche is you don't judge by a book by a cover, but frankly, if you haven't read the book, what else are you supposed to judge it right. by? They're exactly? hoping that you will, so, yeah. and they're trying to sell you what they think the most appealing cover is, because once you take it home, like, they've made their money. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, so those are, you know, well, and then that brings then, up another packaging question. Is this where you're yes, going next? I'm sorry. It Talk, is the Brene Brown the question. The Brene Brown. And this is more of a, we've wondered about this. It looks like it's meant to be a gift book, Atlas it of the does. Heart, right? And yes. it, you took a look at it and you've got, it's it's that and more or that indifferent. It least, is. I, I, I guess this is kind of an inversion of the other mm. experience where historically, as listeners of the pod know, I'm a like first day the book comes out new Brene Brown reader. And so I had pre-ordered Atlas of the Heart and then it showed up. And like, I pre-ordered it just because I like Brene Brown. I didn't really need to know anything else about it. And when it showed up and it's like, it's a bigger, it's not a regular hard size book. It's about the size of a coffee table book. It's beautifully designed. Like it's called Atlas of the Heart. It has all of these glossy Mm. kinds of pictures in it. And I unwrapped it and I was like, oh, I wanted like 300 pages of thinky think about emotion and vulnerability. And and this looks like a gift book. It came out around the holidays. My, one of my sisters-in-law received three copies of it at Christmas. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> it's the, oh, the places you'll go for the early 40s <laughs> white lady me, crowd. She pulled me aside at Christmas and she was like, do you have the new Brene Brown? I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, oh, God, damn it. I got Rebecca. three of them. And like, That's I was hoping I could give you one. <laughs> I know. But like it came right like at it live, came out the around, <laughs> at live. <laughs> It came out at the holidays. It looks like a gift book. It seemed like this wow. is the thing that's wow. on the front table at Barnes and Noble that you give your sister-in-law that yeah. you don't know. <laughs> it should be called for your sister-in-law by <laughs> like, Brown. Is there a little subtle shade in that? Like oh. you got 3 copies of the new Brene <sighs> Brown book for Christmas. <laughs> And so I just sort of was like, oh, this is not what I was wanting from Brene Brown. I had heard her on an interview talking about like that this was sort of the summary of all of the things that she had learned in her past research. And I was like, well, I've read all of your past research, so do I actually need this? <laughs> Are you doing this? more qualitative field work, Brene? Because it seems yeah. like you're talking into head mics for a corporate dog. Yeah, she's got to rumble great. with Get it for back. a minute, Jeff. Yeah, right. um, so it's just been sitting on, literally sitting on my coffee table for months. And over the weekend, I was in between books and I was like, let's just see you know, what Brene is up to. And it is is big and beautifully packaged, but it's like a taxonomy of language for emotion in a way that I think is super helpful. Like mm. here, are, here are emotional places we go when things don't go as planned. And then she breaks down like, what is the definition of frustration? What is the definition of disappointment? What is the, de- and how are these things meaningfully different from each other mm. all towards the end of when we have language that's more precise, we can express and understand ourselves and other people more effectively. Mm. And it's like, this is, interesting and useful. Now I know the actual difference between envy and jealousy. I also know that there is an opposite of schadenfreude called freudenfreude, which is when you have joy for someone else's joy. 
Freudenfreude. That makes sense. Freudenfreude. It's fun to say. And then is yeah. there schadenschaden where you feel bad about other people feeling bad? <laughs> I, I don't know. She doesn't go into okay. Well, you know, that's that's the, uh, what, what is it? But, the, uh, how by to, the transitive how to, how properties. How to cook everything. Of... And then there's like, how to, there's a sequel to how to cook everything that makes me mad. Not a real atlas, <laughs> Brene. You left Freud or Freud. Or yeah, schadenschaden. And no. so I'm having a lot of like, why did they package this book this way? Yeah. You pointed out this book is selling. So oh, maybe yeah. they packaged it this way because this will sell better than a hardcover called Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it makes me feel like maybe a lot of folks are also missing the wonderful contents because if you're if you're watching <sighs> Brene Brown and you pass this up, I don't know. But it also is not what I thought it was going to be. And we've just had a trio of those. Yeah. I mean, it's cl- it's clearly packaged to be a physical object. And, and the gift book is, I don't mean to shade that because I don't, I think it was meant to be given a gift, it's packaged that way, but it's not a gift book like, oh, quotations or something like that. There's more, you're saying there's more substance here than you thought, and does the packaging help or hurt that, and does it matter, really? I think that's a fascinating question. I think, you know, to, to bring it back around before we leave the show today, I think it's interesting to contrast it with Atomic Habits. Hmm. Who's reading, I think, gender breakdown and also class is interesting to think about with these. I'm guessing Atomic Habits is business book people. Yeah. And Atlas of the Heart is no shade on your family, but it's like, I don't know, people that it's the upmarket version of Lift. It's it's marketed as a upmarket version of the pillow of Live Laugh Love. That's yes. what it looks like to me. Yes, yeah, it's like, it's more expensive than a traditional yep. hardcover. It's priced closer to mm-hmm. what a coffee table book would cost you. So it does feel like getting or giving a gift type book. Right. I also feel maybe this is maybe my own like readerly neurosis, but I feel like unserious when I'm sitting there reading it. Like when I'm yeah. when I sit down to read something about self-improvement or emotion or you know ethics or whatever all that stuff we like to read about I'm used to like I have the book in my hand there's a pen in my hand Mm. I'm ready to like take a note and learn a thing and nothing about this object says to me okay like gather around children let's learn some things right this is like Magnolia Table Joanna Gaines's home decor kind of like how many copies of this book are actually maybe, being read. Yeah, that's great. And 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 if the point is to get more eyeballs to these ideas, this could be the right strategy. The, maybe. the very kind of people that are like, there's the opposite of us, the Freud of Freud right. of us, who are turned <laughs> on by this. This makes feel more approachable, more giftable. You know, your sister didn't get three three copies of <laughs> four thousand weeks. Yeah. Right. Which I, we both found. Life changing is strong, but very, mm. very impactful, very and we and, and very meaningful, and we passed it on. But it has a certain seriousness that's going to be a turnoff for some people because if you don't read a lot of self development, you're not used to. Is this for me? How do I understand this? Is this even going to be enjoyable? This book feels approachable, and for and for us, I think our bad. I'll say myself, my bad first reaction is it feels gauche. And it's at the end thing mm. by Target, by the scented candles. So my dudeness or whatever else is kicking in <laughs> saying, not for you, man. But yeah. I also like Brene Brown and I was interested too, but I didn't even pick it up. And you that's know, on and, me, right? I didn't I, give it a chance even. 
I also think I, next time you're in Powell's, look for this and flip through it because I yeah. would be really curious about what you think looking at the insides. But I also really wonder if the folks who did pick it up because it looks more approachable are getting what they thought they were oh, getting. Because it, it looked to me like like I was expecting a lot more illustration, maybe like graphs of stuff. Um, but it's it's a lot of text. It's just the text is like a big font. And, and they're like Bob could read it across the room. Mm. Um, like wow. it's a big font, and there are some you know full page photos from her life, and it has like more personal touches. So I kind of get what they were going for, but I wonder if anybody got what they thought they were getting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Schadenfreude were ni- neither of the words. Yeah, like work whatever exactly your right. reason for picking up this book or not picking it up. Does it give you what you thought you were going to get when you mm. either chose it or chose not to read it? Yeah. I don't is know. It, is it, oh, the places you'll go? Like I said, is it like something that people are giving and buying and passing around and sitting on coffee tables? Because mm-hmm. it continues to sell. It was the fifth best hardcover front list nonfiction book of the of the week last mm-hmm. week. So it's selling 10,000 copies, almost as much as the new Sarah J. Mass. So from a business point of view, again, we don't know what the, you know, the... Uh, revenue split and the advance and all that kind of stuff. But I'm looking now at some of the look inside stuff. I don't know what to make it. I don't know what to make of this. I mean, I almost want more of a, I don't know. Like what's Maggie Nelson's version of Atlas of the Heart? <laughs> yes. Right? Like Ross is Brene, like is mm-hmm. Brene Brown, like is she thrilled that this is the packaging for this? There's the question I want. Yes. Because maybe it is. Maybe she's like, this is the accessible handbook that people, it feels approachable and it feels like it's something you could give as a gift and read for fun. But I'm actually, I'm not sure that sneaking is the right thing in there, but like I, I'm, there's a lot of sugar for this medicine. There's a lot of interest and visual interest and it doesn't feel intimidating. And it has this weird clip art version of a heart that's supposed to be an atlas, but it looks kind of like a bird with flowers on yeah, it. I don't know. Like, I think if they wanted to go accessible, there's a there's a way to do that that's like feelings and what they mean you know where somebody who's sitting down at midnight in a dark night of the soul to be like how to talk about emotions could land on this book would be incredibly useful i think for a person having an experience like that or i was telling somebody i think i was telling a friend who has teenage kids like having all this different language for different like shades of emotion would have been super useful to me as an angsty 13 year old maybe it will be useful with your angsty 13 years year olds and there's a way to package a book that will sell like i might i might also nope out on a book marketed that way Mm -hmm. that's my own other stuff but it would probably sell more broadly and it would achieve i think the goal of teaching this information to people yeah there's like an upmarket or an upmarket or i don't know a seriousness or let's let's call it the pretension scale right sure where this is like kind of real close in the middle because it has a gold embossed element to it but it's, alice of the heart is a pretentious title no shade but that's a pretentious title it, it just is <laughs> Yes. It's not as pretentious as the life-changing magic of tidying up. Like that's a strong, <laughs> that's a strong statement. Marie. It's not I, practical at all. Yeah. Atomic habits, very practical. But it's also not everything I needed to learn. I learned in kindergarten, right? That's right. the more very aw shucksy, you know, down home seven this habits is, of highly effective yeah, whatever. Who move my yeah. cheese, which is tongue in cheek, and that kind of stuff. This this feels very in the middle, which maybe what we're reacting to is we don't get many of these. Like these very in the middle, high, low, 
qualitative research <laughs> TED talker, motivational speaker with the res- resume who we've read a bunch of and really like, but maybe we feel like we've gotten the message. Like, she's an unusual person. It's an unusual book. Maybe it's not a surprise that we're feeling some. We're not sure what to <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, I it. think it's very unusual at our with our experience and how long we've been doing this to land on a book where it's like, what is this animal? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Cool. Well, that we got way more into that than I was expecting, but it's out there in a fascinating, a fascinating physical object um, to see if you've loved Atlas at the Heart or felt some. How many copies have you received of Atlas at the Heart? It's some kind of. <laughs> Uh, what? How many copies of Atlas the Heart You Received says about you? The BuzzFeed quiz that we all, we all need. Uh, you can shoot us an email podcast uh, at bookriot.com. You can find the links to this and all back episodes, show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast and all the other Book Riot Podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Um, Rebecca, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.